We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled The Service Paradox. That's the service paradox, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with the first portion of The Service Paradox. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Father, thank you for Jesus. The most profound words out of our mouth is thank you for Jesus because... He is the thought and will of God made manifest in human flesh. Thank you that you have contextualized yourself into human history by merging with human DNA so that you might reach us here on our plane. This is unfathomable, but Lord, does it move us to prayer and tears and to worship? Yes, it does. So today, Father, help us as we study the Bible, not to be just servants, but to be devoted Christians who love you because of Jesus. Help us in our weakness and our sinfulness to know you and to be without sin in that day in which you appear. In Jesus' name, amen. There are times when a public servant is dangerous and a nuisance. Have you ever found that to be the case? You're driving down the road and you see that blue and red light flashing there in your rearview mirror and you say, oh no, a ticket. Lonnie Tinsley of Reno, Oklahoma, went to check on his grandma when he discovered he thought that she had not taken her medications. He was very concerned because she had been ill. And so he got scared and he called 911. That part was simple, 911. The rest was not so simple. Instead of an ambulance with medics, about a dozen armed police officers stormed into the house like a SWAT team looking for a ruthless killer. What they found surprised them. What they found was an 86-year-old grandma sitting in bed with a breathing mask tied to her head, hooked up to a tube that led to an oxygen tank. She looked very displeased. Scared and maybe a little mad at that, Grandma Lana, as she was called, ordered the armed men to get out of her room, to get out of her house, and to get out right now. The leader of the police took this as a threatening gesture, and so he ordered his officers to dig in their heels against this oppressive citizen. He gave the command, taser her. That's his words, exactly. Taser her. Her grandson suddenly exclaimed in horror, Don't tase my granny! Then the officer threatened to tase him too. But instead they assaulted him, threw him to the floor, handcuffed him, dragged him down the stairs to the police car where they locked him up in the car and then they focused on granny. What happened next was unbelievable. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. The official police report said that grandma took an aggressive action against the police in her bed. I personally can't figure out what an 86-year-old grandma can do to arm police in bed when she's tethered to an oxygen tank and really relying on it for every breath to live. But anyway, aggressive granny in her bed, tethered to the tank, they went after her, and the lead officer gave the orders to take the extreme measures to protect their lives from granny. 
In the police report, an officer reported that he stepped on her oxygen hose until the granny began to suffer oxygen deprivation. When granny was wide-eyed and blue, they shot her with a taser but missed the first time. They shot her again, then applied the voltage. Granny was burned by the charge as she slipped into a state of unconsciousness. She was handcuffed, and they cut her. They cut her arms as they were handcuffing her, so she was bleeding. The ambulance arrived, and the handcuffed granny was loaded on a cart with armed guards. She was then taken to a hospital where she was treated for her injuries. After her treatment, the officers insisted that she be confined to a psychiatric ward for six days because granny was considered dangerous. A news reporter had this to say, It has long been established that the worst thing to do in an emergency is to call the police. In this case, Lonnie Tinsley didn't call the police, yet they barged in anyway and quite nearly helped his grandma to death. You know, there are times when a public servant can do a lot of harm in the name of duty. Isn't that true? I mean, we've all met at times an aggressive officer, and most of them are fine. I mean, we need police officers and firemen and the like, but every now and then you meet someone with a chip on their shoulder who has something to prove, and you can feel how, if it got out of hand, you could find yourself in a difficult place. I think the granny would have fared a lot better if the police had come with a spirit of devotion instead of duty. Like these officers, there are Christians today who do a lot of damage to the work of God in the name of duty. They serve God, but they have a chip on their shoulder. And they have forgotten the humility that comes from a spirit of devotion to God. The Christian life balances, I believe, on a scale with duty and devotion on each side. And the pull from duty is the opposite of the pull from devotion. And the twin calls of duty and devotion are hard to balance in life. How many of you have ever noticed that? You're trying to do your duty. At the same time, you're trying to spend time with Christ and you feel like there's a tug. Have you ever experienced that? I have. So this is a real condition that we struggle with. And the sincere Christian naturally cares about both. I mean, he wants to do his duty and he wants to be devoted to Jesus Christ. And every Christian who's sincere knows that at times the scale tips to one side or the other and duty wins or devotion wins. Simply stated, duty is the call to do. And devotion is the inner call to renew. Duty is the necessary response to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, Christ didn't call us to do nothing. He said, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I mean, we are called to serve. The Holy Spirit has given us gifts of service, so duty is important. Duty means giving Jesus his due in your life by doing what he asks you to do. Now, service and duty are often the same thing, but not always. When a person serves God, they are performing their duty. Now, in contrast, devotion is the platform for duty. And without devotion to Jesus Christ, duty becomes dead works that leads to a dead end. Have you ever had Christian burnout? You've been working real hard. And a lot of us here have been working hard for 10 years. We don't have a church infrastructure that we could have because we rent, we're isolated in our time that we can use the building. Many of you are running church affairs out of your garage or your home office. And I have seen on the face of some here, and I have felt it too, sometimes a sense of burnout because you're working hard and you just don't know how you can do the next step. When a person serves God, they're performing their duty, and that's important. But in contrast, devotion is the platform for duty. And without devotion to Jesus Christ, duty becomes a dead form of work. So in the Christian life, there's a paradox that's hard to escape. It is, in fact, the service paradox. In the call of Jesus Christ, service without devotion is not service at all. 
Because service without devotion enslaves the soul, it changes the character, and it pushes a person into a relationship with themselves that drives them away from God. In other words, they become self-centered, egocentric. In Jesus, God has called us to perfect freedom. How many of you want to be slaves the rest of your life? You want to be slaves the rest of your life? How many want to be free, really free? I mean, to do what you do because you love doing it, to have a feel underneath your arms like you have wings mounting you up and you just glide into the next project with a sense of accomplishment. That's what we want. Freedom is, in fact, the fruit of devotion. It's not the fruit of service. In a sense, devotion is the highest kind of duty. And here is where the service paradox bites the believer hard. Devotion itself can become a duty. And when it becomes a duty, the duty can take the place of the devotional life and a person can be driven by a pressure that prevents them from experiencing the sweet grace of God. There are many people today who think that service to God defines the essence of a Christian life, but it does not. You know, while it's true that Jesus condemned laziness as a sin that leads to ruin, in fact, Christ had a whole lot to say about the lazy believer who does nothing. He talked about the parable of talents, and he talked about the man didn't use his talent, and he was a slothful, lazy person, and he did not make it through the judgment day if he didn't use his talents for God. I mean, Christ was not a slacker, and he had no patience for it. But in the gospel, devotion is the right response to Jesus Christ, who by his power has set the soul free for a proper balance of service and devotion in the life. Christ extends to each person here the great invitation to know him and then to serve him. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 11, verse 28. Here is the great invitation. It applies to us as believers at Reaching Hearts. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly and heart and you will find rest for your souls, and then labor follows. Look at verse 30. Service follows. For my yoke, and that means a yoke of service is easy, and my burden is light. Devotion is like an ocean of grace that floods the soul with the need to know God, because God is the goal in devotion, and God is the destination in the soul's devotion to know Jesus Christ and to be known by Him. You know, we talk about righteousness by faith and righteousness by works in the Christian church today. And I'm an advocate of righteousness by faith. You see, righteousness by faith is the Jesus journey by faith that leads the hungry heart and the tired feet to the hearth of God where there is a heart of love and a place that is the heart of God to rest. It's not about doing, it's about being. It's not about achieving, it's about receiving. It's not about proving something to someone. It's about being approved by God in relationship to Him. And so to know God must be the reason for the journey. In the Gospel of Luke, there were two women who typify the distinction between duty and devotion. One was trapped in the service paradox, the other was not. One was a worker, and the other was a worker too, but she was a worker for different reasons. And she knew when to stop working and to focus on devotion. One was naturally a good person, the other was not naturally a good person. One was always working in the kitchen or the house to make a difference for the family and the flock. The other wasn't lazy, but the other took time out to seek the one who makes a difference for the family and the flock. One was pushed to plow a path through the daily difficulties with a sense of stern duty. 
The other was overwhelmed by her failure and guilt, and she chose the clearer path through the trouble with a commitment to devotion. In the life of Jesus, both of these women loved the Lord, but the second one loved him more because she chose the better portion. In the Gospel of Luke, the story of Mary and Martha appears immediately after the story of the Good Samaritan. And that story is set in the context of a question that is asked by a lawyer. The lawyer comes up to Jesus and he says, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Christ asks him, Well, what does the law of Moses say? And then he responds correctly, Well, the law of Moses says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. He said, You do this and you will live. He's saying, that's exactly what my teaching is about. That is the basis of the principles of the kingdom of God. And so the story of the Good Samaritan illustrates the importance of loving your neighbor as yourself, no matter who your neighbor is, of not picking who your neighbor is, of not letting racism affect how you think, or not letting a social position affect you or religious convictions, treating everyone with love is the second great commandment. You shall love others. And it's found in Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then what's the reason? God says, I am the Lord. He says, this is an outworking of who I am. Do this to others. The story of Mary and Martha illustrates the importance of the first and great commandment found in Deuteronomy 6, 5. Whereas the Good Samaritan story illustrates the point of the second commandment that the lawyer had affirmed. This story illustrates the importance of the first commandment. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And God says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You see the word all, all, all. The second commandment is the call to duty. The first and great commandment is the call to personal devotion to God. The story of Mary and Martha teaches the importance of making the first commandment of personal devotion the most important part of your life. In Luke 10, 38, the text continues, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha received him into her house. Now this verse is one of the most significant verses in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, we read over you know, this verse. You know, it's just part of the storyline, but it's not. This verse contains truth for you and me. The text says Martha received Jesus into her house. It wasn't someone else's house. The text says it was her house. She received Jesus into her house, and so much is contained in this one statement. To receive Jesus, you have to accept Jesus. To have him come into your house, the house has to have an open door and a welcome hearth for him. Martha had a welcome place for Jesus in her home. Her claim to eternity was not anything great in the eyes of the world. Her claim to eternity was her choice to receive Jesus into her house. And here's the vital question I ask you. Have you received Jesus into your house? Have you? Have you gone through your house and cleaned out the stuff that would make it hard for Jesus to come and sit down in your house? Have you taken a look at the book rack and the stuff that you read? Or have you considered the stuff that's in your DVD rack? What do you absorb yourself with for music? And what is the stuff you talk about in the home? Is your home a place where you could accept Jesus into your house? I mean, Martha was a believer. She received the Lord into her house, and she should be very much looked up to because of this. She's a model for us in this way. 
The Bible says it was her house. It wasn't someone else's house. She was the one who owned the home and ruled the hearth. It was her house. Maybe she was an entrepreneurial woman who was able to make money and get ahead and provide real estate for herself. She's very obviously a very capable person. Verse 39 stands in contrast to verse 38. Verse 38 is about Martha who invited Jesus into her house. But verse 39 is about Mary who sat at Jesus' feet in Martha's house. Luke 10, 39. Let's look at the verse as the story continues. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now there's no record of Mary ever teaching anyone anything as a teacher. Mary was not a great preacher. There's no evidence she was a preacher. She was not a deep theologian. She didn't write books that people read. And her ideas never changed the world of her day. I mean, she just simply wasn't that kind of person. There's no evidence, in fact, that she possessed any unusual talent. Mary was just Mary. Now, Luke tells us that Mary and Martha were sisters, but the Gospel of John tells us that they had a brother named Lazarus. And the Gospel of John, in this sense, agrees that this was a family connection that we're viewing here. But John adds a detail about Mary that is important in the storyline. John chapter 11, verse 2. It says, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, when you read the Gospel of Luke, the same story appears. But in the Gospel of Luke, this woman is not named. That means Mary is the unnamed woman in the Gospel of Luke who washed Jesus' feet. And Luke describes her as a woman with a bad reputation. Turn to Luke 7, verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. That's Mary. You connect the biblical dots, the storyline becomes clear. This is Mary, the sister of Martha, who is at Jesus' feet, washing his feet in repentance and love with tears running down her face. Luke says she was a woman of the city, and he is quick to add she was a sinner. I mean, you know, sometimes when sinners come to church, they have a hard time, don't they? I mean, they come to church, and sinners who look like saints act like they aren't sinners. And make it hard on sinners to come to church and hear God or to come to Jesus' feet and bow down. Now, that's not our place. We need to hold standards high in our own life. We need to promote righteousness where we can. But God doesn't make us a judge of someone who is where they're at coming to church seeking the Lord. I hope our church in the future is full of sinners who need Jesus Christ with bad reputations, with disgraceful pasts, with backgrounds that they don't want to talk about. I hope they come right here because I want them to be saved in God's kingdom and we need to be saved by accepting them and helping them to grow. The woman who washed Jesus' feet found grace at the feet of Jesus. The woman who bathed them with her tears found forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. The woman who was a woman of the city found pity at the feet of Jesus. She found a hearth instead of a place in the night. And the woman who was a sinner found freedom from sin at the feet of Jesus. I mean, the feet of Jesus is a good place to go when you're a sinner and a woman of the night or a hypocrite in the church or anything else, isn't it? The feet of Jesus is the right place to go. And so John says that woman was Mary. It's no accident that Mary is found in the house of Martha at the feet of Jesus. That's where she found grace, and that's where she stayed, at the feet of Jesus. Dear heart, 
You cannot be lost at the feet of Jesus. You cannot be defeated at the feet of Jesus. You cannot return to sin and you cannot be overcome with sorrow at the feet of Jesus. And your past and whatever you've done that you don't want anyone to know and they don't need to know, your past does not matter to God at the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus is where you find the one who finds you. In verse 39, Luke says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. We don't find Mary in front of a home entertainment system blowing her time. We don't find Mary talking about tea and nonsense stuff. We don't find Mary trying to teach others deep ideas that aren't real and don't matter. Mary's claim to fame is silence at the feet of Jesus, hearing the Word of God, absorbing His teaching, listening to the Master, letting the Master become her Master every day, more and more and more. And the text says she listened to His teaching. You can't listen if you're talking all the time. So there's a time for silence and devotion. Jesus' teaching is the most profound truth you can experience in your life. It may not sound profound to the worldly wise, but for the soul that sins, for the person of the night, for the person who knows that they can't stand before God in the judgment day with the rags of their own righteousness, that there is no good in them outside of God. For that person, the teaching of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus at the feet of Jesus is profound stuff. When was the last time you sat at Jesus' feet in your house? You cut off the TV and you stopped the noise and you quit answering the phone. You listened to him in silence as you read the Holy Scriptures. Luke 10, 40. But Martha, and the word but here introduces a contrast. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The text says Martha was distracted. The Greek word is perispao, and it means literally to be drawn around something. It indicates that Martha was drawn away by much serving, but in a circuitous kind of way, she was moving about in a busy fashion. Duty pulled her away from Jesus and around everything else in the house. And she went around the house being busy for Jesus, neglecting Jesus at the same time. And that's the service paradox. There's only one problem here, and it is the service paradox. Martha let serving Jesus draw her into a circle of busyness away from devotion to Jesus. Luke says she was busy with much. The text indicates that she had turned hospitality into a burden. Serving Jesus became hard for her because she did not have time for devotion to Jesus. And when faced with the choice of duty over devotion, she chose duty over devotion because she needed to get the work done. And when she finally came to Jesus, she was mad at Jesus. So the circle brought her back to Christ, but she was angry at him because in a way he was the reason she was doing all this, getting bent out of shape. She was upset with him because of the burden of service that she felt because he was in the house. She said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Uh, The woman who received Jesus into her house lost Jesus in the same house she served. When a person serves alone, and the Lord never commanded that, in fact, he commanded that service occur in teams, two by two, or in groups of 12 or 70, but always teams. And so service without devotion here described, and she said, Mary, left me to serve alone. Service without devotion is loneliness in action. Did you hear what I said? Service without devotion is loneliness in action. 
Martha became a missionary of her misery. She became an ambassador of the service paradox. She said, Lord, tell Mary to help me. For Mary to help Martha, Mary had to leave Jesus. And that's the service paradox. And leaving Jesus doesn't help anybody in the end, does it? So you don't need to leave Jesus to serve Jesus. If you're leaving Christ to serve Christ, you're not serving Christ. Thanks for listening today. If this message has ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts, and you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times, and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement, and it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe, events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want his church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants his church ready for his return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call, that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to His second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7-888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled, God's Last Altar Call. We pray that you will be lifted up by the biblical insights in this book and grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart. Reaching Your Heart.